We are in the book of John, but if you'll take your Bibles and if you'll turn this morning to the book of Matthew, I would be so appreciative because we're going to be there in just a little bit. But until we get there, uh, we started last week a new series called Jesus Light of the World, centered around really a focal passage that we find in the book of John, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and we'll be there uh, somewhere along the way. But until that time, today we're going to find ourselves in the book of Matthew. Um, If you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ, and you're here today, it wouldn't surprise me if your journey in faith began something along the lines of a prayer that went something like this. Jesus, I confess my sins. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that you died on a cross for me. I want to commit my life to you. I want to give you everything. And it wouldn't surprise me that if you think back, that as a follower of Christ, maybe that was the beginning of your journey. But it also wouldn't surprise me based on a crowd this size, that there were some of you, in looking back, you find yourself in a different place than where you were way back then. It wouldn't surprise me that if there were some of you here today, as you look back, your faith that you once had in Christ and that commitment that you made that was so strong has wavered for whatever reason. That hope that once you held on to that seemed to be so strong for so many years has now begun to be put off by the wayside. It just wouldn't surprise me. Because I've been there. I've been in those places where doubt has arisen. I've been there where I have questioned. I've been there when I've had those times when Things just didn't seem to work out the way that I've thought that they should work out. Anybody with me? Yeah. And some of you may be in that same place today. So if you find yourself in that place today as we talk, this is what I'd love for you to do. For just a moment, just just a few moments, for the next 30 minutes or so, I'd love for you to go back to that moment in time when you prayed to receive And trust Christ when you said, yes, I will follow you with all of my life. I want you to go back to that time when when just like John said, in him was life. And he was the light of the world. And the darkness could not overcome the light. I want you to go back just like John said in his writings. And I want you to go back to that time. And I want you to to remember what it was like when you first placed your faith in Christ. When you believed that he was the hope. Are you with me? So I want you to play along with me today, at least for the next 30 minutes or so. Because it wouldn't surprise me if there are some of you here that are wrestling or struggling with some pretty intense things. But with that being said, what I want to do is I want to go back and I want to look at the Christmas story and um, 
Let's look at a character inside of the Christmas story. Can we do that? And let's look at not baby Jesus or Mary or Joseph or maybe angels or even a shepherd or wise men. Why don't we go back today and look at a guy by the name of, of Herod, King Herod. Anybody heard his name? Why don't we make him sort of the, the topic of our conversation today, and let's see if we can learn some things about this guy by the name of, of Herod. Because here is Herod being placed in a position of leadership as king of the Jews by the Romans. He was not very liked at all by the Jews because he was not Jewish, and yet he was made king of the Jews. He was put over them. Herod was known as a builder. Um, he would rebuild the Jewish temple as well as other structures, but in the end of his life, his ambitions would get the most of him. Now, so King Herod, and during this time, there were some other characters that were alive and that were making some headway and some news on CNN and Fox News during that time. One of those guys was a, name, a guy by the name of Gaius Octavius who would eventually be known as Caesar Augustus. Maybe you've heard his name. Uh, he had an uncle by the name of Julius Caesar. Maybe you've heard his name. Um, pretty important guy, needless to say, but Julius Caesar would be assassinated. Well, Caesar Augustus had a friend by the name of Mark Anthony, um, and Caesar Augustus and Mark Anthony would get together, and they would go to avenge the death of Julius Caesar, and they would go and they would take care of all the guys that killed Julius Caesar. So that happened during history. And so as, as it would be, there could only be one head cheese in Rome at that time. And so people knew that there would come a time when um, Marcus Anthony and, uh, and Caesar Augustus would come to blows. And they did. But before that, King Herod had decided in his mind that he was going to pick sides. And so he chose sides of whom he was going to identify with. And he happened to choose sides with Mark Anthony, but he chose the wrong side. He picked the wrong dude because Mark Anthony was on the losing side. Bad news for a guy by the name of Herod, you would think, because it left him on the short end of the stick. I mean, here he was supporting this guy by the name of Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony would end up losing Caesar Augustus would be promoted as the emperor. What's Herod going to do? Well, it leaves him with a couple of choices. Number one, kill himself. Number two, run, but he knew, he knew that if he were to run, they would eventually catch up with him. Number three, stop, fight, but he knew that he would, end it, he would lose his life if he were to do that as well. But Herod was a pretty smart guy. So he came up with a plan. He boarded a boat on the way to Rhodes, little island, and he went to where Caesar Augustus was boarding. To make the story short, he went to the door and he knocked on the door and he said, I want to see the emperor of Rome. Who would have been the most powerful man in the world at that time? Herod. Can you imagine what Caesar would have thought? Do I kill him? What do I do with him? 
And so here is Herod standing before Caesar Augustus. And this is sort of what he would say. Caesar, I think it's pretty obvious that I was on the losing end of the choosing sides because I was good friends with Marcus Anthony. Obviously, he lost. But I want you to know this about me, that when I choose sides, I choose sides until death do part. I was loyal to Marcus Anthony until he died. He's dead. Now I pledge my loyalty to you. I will be loyal to you until death depart. Now you would think, you know, what in the world is Caesar going to do? Is he going to kill him? Is he going to put him in prison? How is he going to treat him? What ends up happening, you would think at least he would take away his authority, but that's not what he did. Matter of fact, he gave him more authority and sent him on his, sent him on his way. So this is Herod that we find in the Scriptures. A pretty smart guy, wouldn't you say? Pretty ambitious. He was selfish. He was self-centered. Um, as a matter of fact, they say in history that he changed his will several times. He was married many times, had many sons. He was known for executing his sons. They would have a favorite son. They'd make him mad. He'd execute them. Not really that big a deal. Who wants to be friends with a guy like that? Nobody wants to be close. So Herod was all about committed. He was all committed to growing his kingdom and let's emphasize his kingdom. And he always wanted to make sure that somebody was connected to him that would be seated on the throne. He was known for killing rabbis and other important people in and around Jerusalem. Well, here we are in this stage in history. Herod is probably around 70 years of age. Herod has a debilitating um, disease at this time. He's really nervous. He's really antsy because he's gotten word that there's a, another king that is now in the area. And he is unsettled. As a matter of fact, he is very, very unsettled. And people around him in his inner circle know this especially when he finds out that it's a little baby and he's not very far from him. So this is where we're going to pick the story up in Matthew chapter 2. gives you a little bit of a background. And this is what the scripture has to read as Matthew recorded for us and as he wrote down in Matthew chapter 2, and this is what it says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of who? who was a nasty guy, who was a very intelligent guy, who was a um, selfish guy, who was a very self-centered guy. Remember that. He was all about himself, all committed to growing his kingdom. And it goes on to say, about this time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking. And I, you know, as I thought about this, um, I went back to a time a friend of mine and I went out west to do a revival in a, in a place out in Montana. And we had flown into Great Falls and we had driven out into the middle of nowhere, really. And uh, we had stopped to get some gas and uh, 
went inside to sit in this place, and there were just a few people in there. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere. And there were four guys with these big old hats on, and they were sitting at a table. And uh, these guys were, were sitting and having, I don't even know what we had to eat, but it was lunch. We were hungry because we'd been on the plane since early that morning. And uh, one of the guys got up, and uh, he came over to the table, and he looked at and he said, uh, you boys ain't from around here, are you? That was Floyd. We, and no, sir, we're not from around here. I would think that these guys probably stuck out like a sore thumb, these magi that they were talking about. And uh, here they are walking around Jerusalem. And here's what they were asking. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard about this. You know, it doesn't take long for word to get around. You know, there's always a weasel in the, in the house, right? Always somebody looking to get a, a step up. So word made it back to Herod, and everybody, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So everybody's a little bit on edge. And we can understand why Herod was on edge, because we know exactly what he was all about. But we also now have a better understanding of why everybody else was on edge, because when Herod was on edge, we never know when, what may happen to the other people around him. You got it? We never know what, as a result of him being on edge, somebody else may lose their life, because it was, his legacy was in jeopardy. And so it says in verse 4 that he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. And so here you've got Herod, who's king of the Jews, who's not a Jew, who's calling together the Jewish leaders. They probably knew this isn't going to be very good. And so he's going to ask them some questions. And he says, listen, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Because they're supposed to know because of the prophecy that had been written. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said... And it says, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. <laughs> That's probably not what Herod wanted to hear that day. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men. Hey, guys. Let's just have a cup of coffee down at Starbucks. Just us, you know. Sit down and have a little conversation. So he calls them together and he says, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem. Listen, man, I bless you. Man, I'm with you. We're on the same team here. I'm looking for this, this Messiah. I'm looking for this king as well. So go to Bethlehem and search carefully Man, you search really carefully for this child, and when you find him, come back. Listen, you come back and tell me. You come back and tell me so that I can go back and, and worship him too. So you sort of get a picture of what's happening here. You guys find out anything, you know, you come back and tell me. Have a little present for you when you get back. Because I want to celebrate. So hurry, hurry. And after this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. 
And it went ahead of them, and they stopped over the place where the child was. And it said in verse 10 that when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed before, they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Now, in, inside of our culture, when we hear the word worship, it's easy for us to automatically think about what? Well, the wise men started singing. They started raising their hands. I don't really think that's what happened, people. I don't think that's what happened at all. They were in the presence of somebody that caused them to go, wow. In the presence of somebody that took their breath away. They had traveled such long distance. Here they are, wise men. They are wealthy men. And now they're in the presence of a, of a, of a baby. And it wasn't the power of the baby that caused them to go, wow, but it's who they thought the baby was that caused that awe. And they dropped to their knees and they worshiped. And all the time you got Herod going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and wondering when they're going to show back up with the news of the Christ child, the Messiah, the King, and tell him whether or not they'd found the baby. So here's Herod. He's on edge. He's on edge because all of a sudden he's not maybe the one calling all the shots. He doesn't really know what to do. He's caught off guard. And Herod, he wasn't about to bow his knee to anybody. If you know what I mean. See, Herod wasn't about submission and humility. No, that wasn't about Herod. See, Herod was seated on the throne. He didn't want anybody else to be on that throne. And here's the reality. There's probably a little bit of Herod in all of us sitting there. See, there's probably a little bit of Herod in every one of us that doesn't want anybody else to be in control or in the driver's seat of our lives. I mean, we're okay for a certain period of time, as long as things are going our way. But total control? I don't think so. I mean, I'm for God being in control of my life as long as things are going the way that I want them to go and as long as God's doing for me what I want him to do. But you mean to tell me put him in total control of my life and submit my life to him and humble myself before him? I don't think so. I just don't think so. But the reality is there's probably a little bit of Herod in all of us, regardless if we want to admit it or not. He goes on to say, then they opened their treasure chest, the wise men did, and they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and Myrrh, and when it came time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. 
After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt when the child and his, with his child and his mother. And the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious. And see, every time Herod became furious, people died. Every time Herod became upset, people lost their lives. And it didn't really matter who, because somebody was going to pay. Because Herod was in control. He was all about control. He was all about manipulation of situations. And up until this point, regardless of right or wrong, he had always been able to control what was going on in and around him. But all of a sudden, things began to change. And all of a sudden, it seemed as, as if he had been outsmarted by a baby and his parents. But Herod still had a plan, though. People were still going to pay. And maybe you know the story. Because it goes on to say this, that when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him, he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the first of the star's first appearance. And so here's what happened. I mean, he was such a nasty guy. I mean, Herod called in his soldiers and he said, listen, this is what I want you to do. And he called them together and he said, I want you to go through in and throughout and I want you to murder all the baby boys that are this age and under. But I wonder how many other people lost their lives during that time because can you imagine a father or a mother being a part of this and watching it take place and them not trying to stop what was going on? So I wonder how many other people beside these children lost their lives during this time. Oh, by the way, I thought about this this morning. Can you have known what it was like, Mary, the mother of Jesus, living with the knowledge of this her entire life? Scripture goes on to record this in verse 17. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeps for her children and refusing to be comforted for they are dead. Taken from Jeremiah 31. And it wasn't long after this that Herod himself would end up dying. As a matter of fact, he tried to commit suicide because... His disease had gotten down to the point it was so painful, but he was saved by a cousin. He would end up living for a period of time after that. But he was so nasty and so vile that what he did is he knew that there would be celebrating in the streets when he died. And so Herod devised a plan. So he gathered up some of the most influential people that lived in that area, and he had them jailed. And he told the soldiers, when I take my last breath, when I die, I want you to, to kill all of these that have been arrested. So that when I die, there will at least be mourning. 
Isn't that something? That's a pretty nasty fellow. So needless to say, when Herod died, they didn't do what he asked him, but they released all the prisoners. The Bible goes on to say in verse 19, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And in verse 20, get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Egypt because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. Now, this is such a twist in, in the story of Herod. I mean, think about it. Herod, known for so much, and yet, we talk about his name this time of the year, not because of all the things that Herod did, but because of the birth of a baby. I can imagine sitting in a room of people, and here's somebody that walks up to Herod and says, Herod, well, listen, I just got some good news and some bad news for you. Thousands of years after you die, people will still know your name. That's good news. What's the bad news? The bad news is this. You won't be the main character in the storyline. A baby will be. A baby. A baby who would become the savior of the world. And so fast forward some 80 years or so, after Herod's death, and there's a man by the name of John, and John's pinning some words. He's writing a story. And in that story, John's writing down everything that he had seen, experienced, he had heard, he had watched with his eyes. He had felt with his heart. Everything that John is writing isn't just something that he's heard in a story, but it was something that he had come to believe because of personal experience. See, John was there. He knew exactly what it was like. John was there when the crucifixion. He was there at the empty tomb. See, John was there. And, but you've got to remember that John is now an old man. And you got to remember of all the things that John had experienced up until this time, the, you know, the destruction in Jerusalem, all the people losing their lives because of their faith in Christ and the persecution that took place. Yet John continued to hold on. And John writes, and as he writes, looking back, based on his experiences, he begins to summarize and this is so relevant to us today for those of you that may be at that place that if you trusted Christ, yet you've walked away. Because John knew what it was like to doubt. John knew what it was like to struggle, and he knew what it was like to wrestle, and he knew what it was like to be in conflict. John knew what it was like to be persecuted, and he knew what it was like to have people probably throw stones at you, and he knew what it was like to be on the other side. John knew what it was like. Yet John believed, and he held on to his faith. And in all the things that John had seen, John wrote, and I want you to think about this and place, pay, 
pay so close attention to this because for those of you that may have walked away from your faith or may be struggling or at that place of just ready to throw in the towel, hear what John had to say because these are the words, these words are so important. Because see, John didn't start his story, the Gospel of John, with the narrative of the birth of Jesus, but John wanted us to know that in that day and time when times were so dark, this is what he said, that in him, this baby, Jesus, that had been born, that in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, not just the Jews. See, John was there when Jesus stood amongst them, and he, and he told them to go into the world and to preach the gospel and to declare that and teach them all things that he had specifically taught them and that he would be with them. See, John was, John was there amidst all of that conversation for all mankind. And then John writes these words. The light shines in the darkness. And if there ever looked like a time when the enemy had won, it would have been during those times that John lived. And for those of you that may be at that place where you're struggling and you feel like maybe the enemy is just pressing in and pressing in and pressing in and pressing in, and man, maybe this stuff just isn't true and it's not real, and your doubts or man are just filling your mind and you're ready to give up, John would say, don't give up. Don't give up because you think what you're going through is dark. You think what you're going through is difficult. You think what you're going through is, is extreme. He said, listen, don't go there because the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And see, here's the point altogether. Here's the point. For all of us, what will our relationship be with the light of the world? Will it be one of resistance and rebellion, just like Herod? Or will it be like the Magi, that when they came into the presence of the Christ child, there was submission, and there was humility, and there was awe, and there was worship? I thought it would be neat as we closed out today, because I, I love this song. What it would be neat to give you a chance to respond. For those of you that may be at that place that you've wandered away, to maybe wander back, to come into his presence and to adore him and to remember the words of John, to say, No, no, I'm not going to run. Because you can't run far enough, people. You can't run too far. Because the darkness cannot overcome the light. For you to go back and just, wherever you are, to say, no. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm in. I ain't running no more. Jesus, I need your help. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. I want to identify with the fact that I am struggling. I want, to, I want you to know that I'm struggling. I want some other people to know that I'm struggling because I need some other people walking with me that are going to encourage me. See, one of, the, one of the tricks of the devil himself 
is he isolates us. And we talk about this all the time. Man, you have no, you have no, you, you have no, uh, you, you're going to lose if you're by yourself. If you're in this battle by yourself, you're going to lose. You need some other people that are around you, that, that know your story, that knows what's going on, that's, that's there to encourage you, that's walking along beside you. But where the devil begins to win the war and he wins to, to win that battle is when, is when he gets you to the place to say, man, listen, nobody cares, nobody knows, nobody understands. You need some other people standing beside you. So maybe today you just need to go, hey, man, I need some other people standing beside me. I'm in a battle, and I need some people standing beside me. I don't want to give up. I've, I'm in the midst of this battle, but I don't want to give up. I need, some people, I need some people standing beside me. Today maybe is that day for you to come out and say, I need some people standing beside me. I'm in a battle. I don't want to give up, but I need some people standing beside me. Will some people stand beside me today? And if that's you, as, as, as Brian and Melvin, as they sing the song, would you just stand where you are? And maybe there are some people that would be with you, that know you, that would go, hey, man, listen, I'm standing beside you. And they'll just go to you wherever you are. And this is going to be tough because some of you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that because then people might know that I got some issues going on. Look at, look at me. We all got issues going on, people. We all got issues. That's a life in the pits of hell. Don't let Satan trick you from that. Don't let him do it. But maybe you're at that place to say, man, I need some people standing with me. I need some people standing with me. I need some people praying for me, walking alongside of me. And so during this song, if that's you, if you just stand where you are, and maybe some people would just come to you and just say, listen, maybe you'll pray over them. Maybe you're here today and, and you've never trusted Christ for whatever the reason. Today could be that opportunity where you come and you say, today I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Just like Paul and just like Cadence, I want to trust Christ. No, I don't understand all the details, but I know that there was a baby that was born and he became the Messiah. And I know that he would eventually live and he would eventually die, but he would assume my sins on that cross and he would die for me. That he demonstrated his love for me that, that all my sin was placed on him. Yet he didn't stay in that tomb, but he was resurrected from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on my behalf. And I'm not saved because of what I do, but because of what he did. And maybe you're here today saying, man, I've tried to walk my path and do it all on my own, but I can't do it anymore. I want to trust Christ, and I want to receive him today. And if that's you, while they sing and while they play, maybe you would even come. When I asked if the overseers would come and stand with me here. If you would do that, Ted, you and Carol, you come too. Stand right up here just in case people come. Maybe you want to come and maybe you want to kneel in prayer. Maybe you'd like to, to come and pray with an overseer. Listen, you're welcome to do that. This is an invitation. This is an opportunity for those of you that are followers of Jesus. Man, during this time, just to adore him, to worship him, and to say, thank you, Jesus. And no, man, listen, things may be tough, but God... Thank you for being the light of the world. For me to remember and always remember, because you may not be walking through a time of darkness right now, but there is a time of darkness that you can walk through tomorrow to be reminded that you are the light of the world. 
And in you alone do I place my trust. And so as they play and as they sing, it's an opportunity to respond. For those of you that are struggling, man, that are just wrestling with your faith, you can stand right there. Say, I need somebody to stand with me, to, to walk alongside with me. Just those of you that need to pray for you to pray. For those of you that may, for the first time, say, I need to receive Jesus. To come and to, to look one of these in the eye to say, I want to trust Christ. Would you, would you help me with that? So would you, would you just listen as Brian and Melvin, as they, as they lead us during this time and as we adore him?